0: Hi, I'm Diane Zarkowski. I'm the founding partner of Canna Advisors, and I'm proud to work in cannabis because we're changing the world for the better.
1: My name is Jay Zarkowski. I am also a founding partner of Canna Advisors. I'm proud to work in the cannabis industry for a number of reasons. Uh, there needs to be an industry, and cannabis, of course, needs to be legal. It's unfortunate that today it's still illegal in so many places, so a lot of work to be done. I'm proud to do that work.
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. I'm your host, Carson Humiston, the founder and CEO of Vangst. And today, I'm so excited to have two very special guests with us, Jay and Diane Zarkowski. Jay and Diane, first off, they opened their first dispensary and first grow in 2009 before licenses were even a thing. They then went on to become some of the first licensed operators in the state of Colorado and ultimately opened Can Advisors, which is a consulting firm that specializes in competitive licenses in places where there's limited limited licenses states. And Jay and I were actually some of our very first customers and some of the very first people I ever met in the cannabis industry. And it's such an honor to have them on our show today on 420. So Jay and Die, welcome to the show. Happy 420. How are you today? Happy 420, Carson. We're great. Thanks yep. for having us.
1: Great to be here, Carson. Happy 420.
2: So let's jump right into it, Jay and Di. Tell us, how did you decide to go into the cannabis industry in 2009 before the cannabis industry was the cannabis industry?
0: I like to say it was a series of unfortunate events. I, no, honestly, uh, Jay, Jay tells the story better, but it, it wasn't something that we really planned for.
1: So here it is, 2009, right? Um the Great, I like to call it the Great Depression of 2008. Diane and I were developing real estate, not just developing real estate anywhere, but up in the ski areas, right? Where pretty much values were cut in half back in 2008. So we were in the process of uh, really losing everything in terms of this wonderful development business that we had. So we had to, well, uh, we had to pivot. Uh, I closed my office up in the mountains. I'm in the process of closing my office in downtown Boulder, my construction office. was a little building about a half a block off of Pearl Street in Boulder, Colorado. And what happened? We put it up for sublease. I started getting approached by groups of young people, all offering me three months cash up front, six months cash up front. I'm like, what are you kids up to? I'm like, well, we're going to open a medical marijuana dispensary, So, Like, you don't say. So we looked into it. It took me about two weeks uh, to convince Diane that it was a good idea and that our, our kids would not be uh, without parents because we'd be in jail. Again, this is 2009. There's no licenses back then. There's no regulations. There's no rules to do this. We're just a bunch of bold pioneers uh, taking some very risky steps, which we did. So we uh, we executed. Opening day was November 14th, uh, 2009. Shortly thereafter, we signed the lease for our first warehouse, built our first grow. And by 2011, we're rocking it. we got four grows in Boulder Uh, doing a ton of wholesale and again back then wholesale was just some guy backed his car into your warehouse he put five pounds of weed into his trunk gave you a stash of cash and uh and that was it there were no metric tags back then plant tracking compliance i still don't know what all that is
2: so so speaking of 420 can you tell us about your first 420 ever you've been in this industry since 2009 what what was 420 like back in the day
1: so 420 was kind of a big thing early on in Boulder, Colorado, because the University of Colorado, CU, is, of course, in, in Boulder. And the students held a big 420 rally right on the quad. Right? It's called the Norland Quad, this big outdoor quad. It was pretty crazy. Tens of thousands of people would pack into this quad in the course of 420. there's a big smoke out, and I'm sure pictures could probably be, still be found on the Internet. But very visible over the quad. It was, it was pretty cool. And then, of course, as time went on, the CU would have none of it. I think They began to uh, spread fish fertilizer on the quad before 420. Uh, one year, they even took the unprecedented step of closing the entire campus and cordoning it off and preventing people from going out to campus. They canceled classes. You know, they really put the kibosh on it. But, yeah, that's okay, right? We uh, legalized cannabis here in 2012 and kind of moved on.
0: One of my favorite uh, memories of 420 and going to the quad is when we had one of our first clients. I think they were from New York. Uh,
1: They were from, I think they were.
0: They were from New York. And uh, it was really this young man. His father had arranged for his trip down and brought like one of the family, uh, what would you call him? He was the
1: uh, the CPA, the financial. But an
0: old family, worked in the family business for a long time. And we actually took them with us to the 420 rally this guy's in a suit. They, just, they were so like a fish out of water and could not believe what they were seeing, that, that thousands of people gathered on this big patch of grass were smoking up. Nobody was doing anything to stop them. It was really great.
2: All right, let's get back to your story. So it's 2009. Jay, you convinced I that it's a good idea to go into the cannabis industry Tell us about those first days. I mean, like the process of opening the business. I can't even imagine what kind of steps went into that.
1: So we, we, we kind of made a, made a bold move. We stumbled upon this idea through, I think an attorney that we worked with at the time. And he suggested that we, that we go down to the city of Boulder and fill out a one page, just like a sales and use tax permit. It's something that any business would fill out. It's a one pager sales and use tax permit. And it was a $25 fee to submit this. So, uh, one hour, him twenty-five dollars. And where it said type of business, I just wrote in medical marijuana dispensary. And no kidding, three days later, we got a sales and use tax uh, license in the mail for a medical marijuana dispensary. I don't even know if they looked at it. I don't know if they scanned it in. But anyway, we had this in our hand. I was so excited. I went back down to the city of Boulder that day and filled in another one-page form, handed them another twenty-five dollars. Uh, Because we had a warehouse down the road, and uh, I wrote—I just wrote in medical marijuana grow operation. And three days later, we got a permit for that, and we were off and running. We really had no idea, Carson, how to grow cannabis. We thought we'd go out and look for somebody. Diane and I were like scratching our heads. But who do we know that maybe knows something about cannabis? And uh, we're like, who's that guy that I meet at your real estate office Christmas party every year? The guy with the really good weed. What's his name? So anyway, we contacted this gentleman, and sure enough, He had his guy, and it's Sean. Sean was a guy that grew the really good weed in Colorado, and I think we offered old Sean fifteen percent of the company back then to come join us and be our grower. He only lasted for two weeks because the whole corporate thing wasn't really for him. Plus, we thought it was odd when he was mixing nutrients. He just pouring a little bit of that, a little bit of this, kind of mix it up. Not a whole lot of science behind it, but you know that's. uh, I don't know how we got started, and I'll just mention it was a patient caregiver model that Colorado had early on, so what we had to do was we had to have patients. So opening day for us in November of 2009 was what we called Doctor Day. We brought a doctor up from Denver. The doctor brought her friend that also got a quarter pound of weed, and then we uh, had our friends and family come see the doctor, and the doctor examined them and wrote them a medical marijuana card. And then we had to mail that off to the state with a fee. But by the end of our doctor day, we had 30-some-odd patients, enough patients to grow like 200-some-odd plants. And we were in business back in 2009. That's just the way it was back then. It wasn't what it is now.
2: Then let's talk about what happened in 2011, when you guys became some of the first licensed operators. What was the process of getting the first license like? What was the licensing process back in 2011?
0: So 2011, really, from from day one, we sought out other colleagues. There there were not that many of us. We met other OGs that had actually been doing it longer than we, had. and there quickly became a real connection, especially with the early women. We would get together once a month. It was almost like a support group, you know. <laughs> And it was through that that we had a women's high tea event that was kind of a fundraiser, very centered around getting people together and social justice. We wrote letters to people in prison and we would write letters to politicians and things like that. And one of the people who came to that event, she connected us to some guys who were in Connecticut and they were gonna be going for one of the first competitive licenses in, in the state. And they just needed someone who had industry expertise to help them with writing the applications. And uh, so that was our first client. So we really had no intention of being a consultants in the industry, but the need was quickly presented to us. And uh, things took off immediately after that. Massachusetts popped and then it was
2: pretty consistent. So when people are out there and they're, th- they're in a new state, And they want to win a license and they come to you. What's the process like of an idea in my head? I'm a business owner. I think I might want to go into cannabis to actually opening up. And and how do you guide your clients through that process? Well,
1: it really depends on the state, right? And how competitive it's going to be. One of the first things that we'll do is really try to qualify the group that reaches out to us. And a lot of times attempt to talk the person out of their pursuit if we don't think they really have what it takes to win especially in states where there's only a very small number of licenses. But what's critical and what we look for, and again, the, the larger number of licenses available in any given state, the easier it gets. But you know, first and foremost, you have to have that desire to win. It's important to control the real estate. Sometimes the, the states want you to have that real estate under control and prove that you have the real estate. Uh, you certainly have to show that you have the capital in which to execute on your plan should the state give you a license. It's important to have a good team put together. You know, any state you know, is going to want to see that you have certain expertise on your team, whether it be cultivation, manufacturing, processing, uh, security, that kind of thing. And that's uh, those are probably some of the high points, Carson.
2: So if I'm out there and I'm thinking about what I might want to win a cannabis business, is, how much capital are we talking about here? I think it's a common question that comes up. I've seen blog posts. How much money do I need to start a cannabis business?
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, that's a great question. In in New York right now, there's people that are, you know, selling cannabis out of their existing bodega or a food truck, right? That, you know, cost entry is pretty low. And I think certainly for a dispensary, people throw around some pretty big numbers, but I don't agree with a big number for dispensary. You know, where there's a will, there's a way to succeed. So For dispensary, I mean, a couple hundred thousand bucks, if you could get yourself a lease for some space, implement whatever security is required by the state or local municipality, you know, train some staff, get a point of sale system and uh, you know, get some product. There's a lot of ways to, to grow slow. Conversely, you could certainly spend millions of dollars to open up a flagship store. You know, cultivation, of course, you know, the sky's the limit. That's really where like, if you're going to open up a business and you want to be successful, you need to compete at scale. So there you know, really millions of dollars are necessary to to build at scale and compete these days. I mean, cannabis has become more and more of a commodity. So if you want to make money growing it, that trend, you better have a, a good facility where you can grow efficiently at scale.
2: So one question I have is you've seen cannabis evolve over the years. What, what's what been the biggest changes that you've seen since you first started out to 2022?
0: It's just so much more widely recognized. I remember when we first got started, people talked about it in hushed voices. If you were meeting someone to talk to them about uh, getting into the industry, they weren't necessarily comfortable about even being seen. It's just the other day I was at the Safeway grocery store and there was a magazine, Women and Weed, and talking about the health benefits and how women specifically use cannabis. So It just seems so much more mainstream now. There are only a handful of businesses that even had some type of a medical program, which was usually that caregiver model that started in California. And now we have multi-state operators that are gobbling up licenses here and there that originally started out being small. I'd like to think, though, that there's still... Going to be at the spectrum of business sizes going forward. I don't want it to be all become owned by a handful of conglomerates. I'd love to see the craft growers and the real artisans still have a place in the industry.
1: And there will be. I'm going to add some additional perspective to uh, Carson on that. But back in 2009, as shocking as this sounds, right, there was no banks or any other recruiting company in cannabis in 2009. There were certainly no consulting companies. The term MSO. That didn't even exist because there was no such thing as anybody in cannabis that had operations in multiple states. There were no investment firms. Let's talk about point of sale. One of the most famous items now, right, for any cannabis business is a cannabis-specific point of sale system, of which there are dozens of companies. When we opened our first dispensary, didn't we use the restaurant point of sale system? We did. We knew another lady in town that because she was formerly a hairdresser, she used like a, a beauty salons point-of-sale system for cannabis. So there was nothing back then, nothing. Enough. Today, there's a lot going on. And shockingly, my opinion, the industry is still in its infancy 13 years later. There's still so much upside and a long way for, uh, for growth. So uh, interesting and exciting time, sir.
2: Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, right? You say, and I think a lot of people, including myself, believe in this, that the industry is still in its infancy. We say all the time that the industry is as small as it will ever be today, right? And so what gets you most excited? What gets you continuing to get out of bed every day and work on this? You've obviously been very successful, but you continue marching forward. What are you excited for?
1: The Northeast I'm most excited for right now is the Northeast. When I look at the the population of New Jersey and New York and Pennsylvania, just those three states alone... There's more people than all of California, and there's nothing out there right now. I mean, New York still has its, what, 10 licenses. New Jersey maybe has 10 to 12 operating licenses at this point. Pennsylvania still has a relatively small, although fairly decent number of licenses. The the black market in those states, it it far exceeds and dwarfs the legal market. There is so much opportunity for brands to develop in the Northeast, dispensaries, cultivation facilities, processing. The the opportunity in the Northeast is incredible if you compare it to California, where there's billions and billions of dollars in revenue uh, yet to be developed out there. But in my humble opinion, I will will go out and say that based on what I believe is, is superior financial expertise in the Northeast, more evolved marketing and branding expertise in the Northeast, I believe that over time, the cannabis industry in the Northeast will dwarf that of California.
2: Let's talk about California a little bit. We hear and you see headlines that the black market is still thriving in California, despite there being a large adult use and medical market. H- how do we change that and how do we get all consumers in, in the, into the regulated market?
0: Gosh, California is its a very complicated market to, to talk about. I I think that there's no magic bullet solution. I think that we're just going to have to, like every other market, it's going to evolve and it's going to be those pain points that push for the, the evolution. So they're going to have to make it more comparable in price to the illicit market. There are still so many areas that that don't allow for licensing. It's phenomenal to me to, to think that a, a local municipality wouldn't allow it because the illicit market's already in their counties. They just have no opportunity to regulate it. I think licensing is the best way to, to control the illicit, but you have to make it accessible to people. You have to make it affordable to people. And you have to make it possible for the business to, to make money too, because it can't It can't withstand all the fees and and the the cost for testing and things like that, that the illicit market doesn't have to go through. They don't test their products, go through labeling things and and go through all the regulations that that a legal business does. What do you think about that?
1: It's been its own animal for generations. I mean, there, there's been an industry in, in, in California, Carson, since before I was even born, right? It's been the wild west out there and they've had their culture and their way of doing business for generations. So
2: to you align know,
1: the legal markets to stabilize in a short period of time, right? It's not gonna happen, we, we, we've seen that. I have a general rule for my business that I don't do this business in California because it's, uh, it's just crazy out there. Certainly the licensing schemes and the taxing schemes, there's a lot going against legal businesses, and you know, it's market dynamics, right? The consumer wants a good product at a, at a, at a good price. And they want top-notch customer service. If they are getting those three things from their from their dealer down the street versus a dispensary, of course you're going to go to the dealer. So California has a, a lot going against it in terms of its legal market and certainly a long way to go for a mature, stable market. To be.
2: Well, it's always interesting to hear that people's take, and obviously, like, Like Jay and I were saying, they're super excited for New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and we're just brand new getting started there. Very limited amount of licenses there. And over the next few years, they're going to take off and maybe California can learn a thing or two from the Northeast. Switching to a more personal question, you guys have been in the industry for quite a long time. What's your best memory or favorite story over the years?
0: Best memory? There have been a lot of great memories. I think Really being exposed to some really remarkable people that have, I would say, the moms, the the moms of the sick kids that early on were the ones to get le- the earliest legislation passed, and seeing with your own eyes, seeing the benefits that their kids were were receiving from using cannabis. The people that I work with in the industry, people like you, Carson, it's just it's different than a regular job. It really is. There's a lot more passion and. Commitment and just heart put into what we do. So I don't have any one particular memory. It's just that's why I'm here. I'll
1: give you some memories, Carson. I got a lot of fun memories. <laughs> I mean, gosh, what a what a great ride this has been. I'm gonna I'll just start off in no particular order. Let's talk about the first time we uh, we met. You know, Carson Hummerson was it, we're introduced to her new business when when you were basically charging a thousand bucks a pop for a placement. I'm like, damn, I'll take three. I, I think we still have some people on our team that you recruited for us six years ago uh, for short money. That's a great memory.
2: I went to Jay and Di's office. I pitched them. And Jay said, this is great. I will sign up for three. I was like, boom, biggest customer, second customer. Yeah. And it was a great experience
1: so that McCann advisors uh, client number one of course was that group in connecticut that i mentioned many years ago that was pretty damn exciting when when we won that license that was can advisors client number one winning it was like license 0001 in connecticut one of only four cultivator processors and then went on to sell that three years ago to gti for i don't know 80 million dollars so but that was very exciting I thought it was—it's an interesting story to tell. Back in the early days, when uh, in the middle of the night on Diane's birthday, we had to move two thousand six hundred plants. just uh, there was a situation we had to get these plants out of the building, and uh, you know everybody pitched in. But you know this industry has always been about the people. It's been about the com- the camaraderie. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of folks in the industry that, of course, you don't want to associate with. You don't want to associate with, and maybe you, know, you have a bad experience. But there's a lot of great people in this industry. And uh, that's what gets me up every day, Carson, is working with some great people to continue to help build this next great American, this next great global industry.
2: So for people that are listening that are considering getting into the cannabis industry or maybe they just landed their first job in the cannabis industry, what advice would you give them? It's day one. I'm just starting in cannabis.
0: Networking is great. If you are in a place that has some type to, some type of community networking event, go to it. Everyone that I know is happy to talk to people who want to learn more. And I think that there are really opportunities for anyone still who wants to get involved, whether you want to be plant touching or a supportive ancillary business like us. We don't touch the plant, but you know, it's really nice to be able to work with new people in in markets that haven't been in their state before. They're the new pioneers. And I really enjoy, you know, working with those clients. It brings me back to the days when we first got started and and it it's kind of like we come from the future. Like we have seen some of the evolution of that in in the Colorado market and and like the people in in New York right now, they they still have yet to see that.
1: Be humble. Be humble, <laughs> because the industry is not easy. I think those that get involved, those that work hard, I think those that give to the industry, or help the industry grow, help others. In, in my experience, the more you give to the industry, the industry does give back.
2: And the final question for the two of you, if you could wave a wand and have one thing in the cannabis industry today or see the industry in a future state, what do you see and, and what do you wish for?
1: You know, Carson... There's probably really so many things that uh, that one would wish for. Sometimes I, I think that I'd love to have my own, you know, cultivation facility again. It's probably a bad idea, but I think about that sometimes. And maybe uh, maybe when I retire in a year, year and a half, maybe that'll be a great uh, retirement project: getting a cultivation license in Jersey or New York and building a big grow. I don't really know, but. You know, I, I'd certainly love to see this federal legalization or some type of federal legalization happen. Part of me says, eh, maybe maybe I'll keep working and not retire and you know, retire once we have some kind of federal legalization. We know it's inevitable, right? We know what's going to happen, but I certainly look forward to that day.
0: I have so many different wishes for this industry. One of them for sure is just getting more medical doctors involved that they understand how to recommend it to their patients rather than the patient informing the doctor how to use it. I definitely don't want to see people keep going to jail for having cannabis or using cannabis. So many families get torn apart by that. And then just the stigma to go away. I would love to be able to walk around or participate in using cannabis just like I can a glass of wine and have it not be a big deal.
2: Completely agree with both of those. And I'm very curious to potentially come to Jay and Die's uh, the retirement cultivation facility. Die Di was kind of shaking her head.
0: No, it, it won't be a Jay and Die exploration there. That will be a Jay Enterprise all by himself.
2: <laughs> Jay, maybe we'll, we'll come and visit you. We'll have to have you back on once you open your retirement cultivation facility.
1: Sure. Sounds like fun.
2: Well, Jay and Di, thank you so much for being with us here today on 420. We hope all of our listeners have a great 420. If you want to connect with Jay and Di, they are both on LinkedIn. You can visit the Canada Advisors website. And Jay and Di, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us, Carson.
1: Thanks, Carson.